Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We have, uh, we've got an awesome show lined up for you, but only if you like making money. Uh, if you don't like making money, just tune out right now. This show's definitely not for you. I'm actually just kind of saying a little bit of BS while I'm waiting for him to come galloping into the studio. But here he is, riding in on his white noble steed, the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Mr. Dean Holland. <laughs> How are you doing, James? My favorite time of the week, other than the fact that you're here, but we can make do. <laughs> right, right. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> dude, I'm, uh, I'm pretty pumped about today's show to talk about. Uh, we've got an awesome guest, uh, and I'll introduce him in just a second. But one of the things that's near and dear to your, your heart, my heart, our businesses is uh, lead generation and high ticket sales. Oh, you know, yes. We, right? You know, something that we, uh, we both do on a regular basis. And we've got somebody we're going to talk to uh, who's helped a lot of people with that sort of thing. Are you as excited for this as I am? I am. I am. And I think, I think this is actually a really great time for the topic as well. Cause I know, you know, we've done a few shows recently, haven't you, haven't we, where we've spoke about things like acquiring more customers, but I think one of the things, the, the other ways of growing a business, of course, and usually one of the easiest ways is to raise the value of what you're offering. Yeah. You know? And yeah, so no, the yeah. idea that we're now going to delve into that, I think it's going to be super timely and super helpful for many people. And, uh, selfishly, like you say, a topic that we love. So, uh, <laughs> even right. if no one else is listening, we're going to love it. Well, speaking of listeners, uh, I'm not sure if he's listening live, uh, but he, he promised me he's going to listen later today. Good friend of mine. I'm gonna give a shout out here to Ricky Joe, uh, Dean, you, you and Ricky, like if I ever got the two of you in a room together, I don't even know what would happen. He's uh, one of my one of my good friends from back in Florida, and uh, anyway, he said he's listening today. So, what's up, Ricky? What's and up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you even got a shout out from the United Kingdom, Nottingham, of all yeah, places. Yeah. Um, so, so let me, uh, without further uh, further ado, let me introduce our guest today, who uh, is founder of a company called LeadRoll.co. He's uh, he's helped people dramatically expand their uh, their sales and their monthly recurring revenue. And, uh, you know, just uh, a guy that's dialed in on bootstrapping and digital marketing, all things like that. Welcome to the show, Tyler Kemp. How are you today, man? Oh, man, I'm feeling good. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. Where, so you left your horse at home today? Uh, actually, I'm still on my horse right now. Okay. Oh, there okay. we go. One of my yeah. own. Must, must be a small I, horse. I didn't see it. Well, <laughs> uh, he's more like a 120-pound dog. He's He's home. <laughs> You know, Rhodesian Ridgeback is kind of my style. Yeah, so. that's that's a big dog. Dean Dean's got a a big dog, not quite as athletic. Uh, his name's Pablo. <laughs> Pablo's a, a massive English bulldog. Oh man, I I, uh, I have no idea if dogs are different in England or not, but um, 
Uh, I wish I could see him in person, but I'm in Denver, but that's all right. It's okay. You, you're not, Pablo's probably sleeping right now. That's one of his He favorites. actually, I just had to remove him from the home office. He was upside down about 30 seconds ago on his back snoring. Yeah, yeah. No shame if there's some do- some barking in the background. Hashtag work from home life right now. There we go. Right, there we right. Go. yeah. So, so, dude, so let's let's get into some cool stuff. Um, talk about your fascination with uh, with outbound marketing and lead gen, and like why why are you in that space? Like, what captivated your attention about it? Oh man, such a good question. So, I guess to launch right in. And Usually, quick... I don't have a good question until like three or four questions in. You can ask. Yeah, to be fair, this one he must will be do. Forward to this. Yeah. Yes, this <laughs> this one will will have to do for now, I think. But nice. uh, to give some background for the listeners, so um, I've helped build several seven figure businesses. I've been on the marketing advisory board of a sixteen billion dollar company at one point. Kind of got tired of the enterprise. Uh, life, moved to startup space, helping some SaaS companies scale from like, you know, 60 grand a month to 200 grand a month in recurring revenue for in one example in about eight months. And uh, that led into the birth of what is now lead role and uh, kind of my, my journey as a, as a, I guess, a provider of uh, fractional sales services. So that's the quick background and what's curious about the question is why why am i interested in high ticket sales and i think the answer to that is uh is a little bit nuanced we didn't start with high ticket sales we actually started with low ticket sales and we've gone back and forth in in different ways and so my fascination with high ticket is because i i know what works for prospecting and it just doesn't work when you're trying to manage a sales team. There's just different tactics required to build and scale a low ticket business than the tactics that are required to build a high ticket business. And I just far prefer the tactics uh, of belly to belly sales. I'm kind of a a marketing sales hybrid at heart. And uh, those tactics work so, so well. Um, and I also will say this, you can provide so much more value to people in a high ticket environment and you don't have to cut corners. You don't have to, you know, it's not about the price always. It's more about doing the job right and doing the Well, it's things. also, and it's also about the experience, right? right? You it, can, you can create yeah. a great experience. I'm, I'm going to, I, I'm a big advocate of high ticket sales. Really what I've built my businesses on, but just, because I know we probably have listeners who don't have a high ticket sales component to their business. And I think a lot of times people have a hard time seeing how they can create that. They're like, well, I just like my audience won't go for it. Or I just don't like that. Or, you know, people like my thing just can't be a high ticket thing. And, you know, maybe in some cases that's true, but I feel like a lot of people cut themselves short um, by immediately discounting their ability to create something high ticket. Dean, what, what do you, wouldn't you say that's kind of true? Yeah, I, I can say from my own personal experience, like I remember years and years, I think it was 2010. So at this stage, I've been in business full-time for two years. Uh, and I think, I didn't, I didn't think I sold anything higher than maybe 70 or $100, let's just say. Right. And uh, I remember somebody and those saying- were, Those were your really expensive lap dances for your preferred customers. 
Yes, but I try not to bring that up on every show. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they were in Euros. Does that even count? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, so with the conversion rate, you're over $100. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, like, so... I was selling these low price digital products back then in, in my training company. And I remember somebody, a mentor of mine suggesting that I should do something more valuable. And, and I remember saying, you've got to go high ticket. And I remember how long it took me to dare start selling at a thousand dollars. Like right. to me at that time, that was so expensive and high ticket. But I, I remember, you know, talking back to what you say, how hard that personal barrier was for me to see, like, Cause I used to put so much into my, all my products, no matter what price they are, you know, I, as we all do, I'm sure put our all into them. And sometimes I think you feel like when you've given your all, like, how can I justify an even higher price? I don't know what, what you guys want to make of that. Yeah. Well, Tyler, I, you know, I bring, I bring that up because I feel like that's probably representative of uh, a pretty good percentage of entrepreneurs out there who have a hard time making that leap or understanding like that it is possible with the way that you package up your offer and, and all these other things. Um, so I want, I want you to kind of respond to that in just a second, but if you are listening live and you want to call in and get into this conversation and have us help you figure out what a high ticket offer for you could look like, give us a call at 888-627-6008. And if you do happen to be across the pond or anywhere else like Dean, it's just plus one, three, two, three, seven, four, 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 eight, three, one. So Tyler, in terms of, that objection, I can't create high ticket. What do you say to squash that? Well, it's an objection that that I myself have had at one point. So it's it's something that is near and dear to my heart, and I right. I feel the pain because you know at one point there there was this this huge barrier for for our business as well, and we were thinking, okay, well, if I do a volume play, low cost, then I'm going to hit more of the market. Um, But what ended up happening, and this is kind of a a roundabout way of answering this question, is that there's just only so much you can do to, uh, like, really provide a ton of value um, at those low rates, especially if you're like a SaaS business, maybe you have an amazing product, but you're right about the the value of uh, that customer experience and the follow up and the phone calls and typically there's no such thing as a low maintenance client or at least they're really rare um, in in my experience like most clients if you're being proactive about really helping them you still have to do a ton and if you're selling low ticket yeah it, it you have to find a way to raise the value of what you're doing to get it there if you want. And, and, and here's the big reason why. If you want to bring on a sales team and dare I even say a commission only sales team, okay, which is how we operate our businesses. We provide huge incentives um, and tons and tons of value, like 10 X yield on what we charge. But if it's not high enough, you're not going to be able to get good sales talent. And you have to be able to incentivize these people um, to close deals and work their butts off every day and handle the the grunt work. So if you've got this low ticket and you're worried about not being able to scale it, can I even do it? The answer is figure out a way to provide more value to your clients. Well, okay. So hold on. So, so as a convert, 
yourself, somebody who you know needed to make this mindset shift, I guess a couple things sort of come to mind. First, was there wh- what was the story that helped you start to move in this direction and see that it might be possible to have have a product or service that was higher ticket that had better margins where you could invest in a sales team, better experience like the whole thing. Like what was that story that really was a tipping point for you? Hmm. So kind of similar to Dean actually. I am mentored by uh, a gentleman named Nick Cosman, and you know he's got some great stuff out there in terms of sales process and whatnot. And uh, he and I were chatting one day, and he was just kicking my my butt about our our service. And I'm like laying out this this scenario of um, you know our the situation of our business and our pricing, and he's just like, dude, you just got to do it. Like you just you have to just do it add more value. If it's not worth that much, then figure out a way to make it worth more. And what were you guys, and what, what were you guys doing at the time? Like what was the thing that you were selling to people? Sure. So our original kind of go to market product was uh, with lead role even was a LinkedIn lead generation kind of a service where, you know, for anywhere from as low as 99 bucks up to $500 a month, we were doing some LinkedIn outbound kind of automation stuff on the mm-hmm. back end. Uh, similar to companies like, you know, there's Cleverly out there, uh, other, other people who do some of that stuff. Um, however, what we found, we were, we were great at, you know, bringing in new clients and they were happy and we were really scaling up. But the problem is, is that there's only the market is completely shifting and I don't think everyone is quite aware of, of this shift, but I've been, you know, having my finger on the pulse now uh, every single day for several years in this specific space and just realizing that an omni-channel approach Mm. is necessary to get yield and that there's certain kinds of businesses that this, that it just did not work for. Um, And people, you know, would love to just pay a hundred bucks and get tons of deals in. And whether you're paying a hundred dollars or, or $10,000, if you're in like lead generating kind of space, people want appointments on their calendar. And fact is we were basically saying, Hey, here's uh here's what we'll do. And we'll kind of do this top of the funnel part. And, you know, we'll, we'll get people in your network and we'll message them and we'll send them stuff. And, you know, don't be a spammer. And uh, here's what you have to do now, you know, we're going to provide you an email and you've got to validate it. You've got to go through and you've got to uh, email them and call these people and, and go back and forth with them and, and don't take no for an answer. You've got to do all this stuff mm-hmm. to get an appointment on the calendar. Yeah. And no one did it. Right. 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 It's too complicated. Everyone was just like, okay, yeah, sure. And they want it, they, they believe that they can do it, but they underestimate the complexity of a really tight-knit outbound sales process. Well, and just sort of, uh, you know, abstracting that a little bit, I think that therein lies the, the recipe for creating something high ticket for your business is that you, your customer has a whole variety of problems around one particular topic 
And if your thing is low ticket, it, you know, it might be information or it might be, you know, some low ticket service or something, but it's probably not fully addressing the entire problem in like in one thing. And if you can create a comprehensive solution that solves that problem, therein is the value that people are willing to pay way more money for because they're like, oh, wait a second. I was willing to pay, you know, X amount of dollars to get this part of the problem solved. But now that you're solving the whole thing, like I'll pay you a lot more money. Right. Yep. And, and we were able to dial it down, you know, for us to say, okay, well, the, the people this is truly working for need to have a ticket size. Like if you're doing outbound sales and we're talking cold email, we're talking, you know, if you are making cold calls or if you are doing any kind of outbound LinkedIn prospecting, we found the sweet spot is really 20K and above in deal size, like lifetime value of a, of a client. 10K and above is, is acceptable, but 20K is that, that kind of sweet spot, anywhere from 20 and, you know, so in terms of that value, just because buying the data alone from like good providers, getting, let's just say direct dial numbers or verified business emails and generating a really rock solid lead list uh, costs thousands of bucks just to get the information, not even to do the prospecting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we ended up with these people who are like, man, like I, I, I've got this, a lot of activity going on, but I'm not like, getting what I would love, which is tons of appointments. And, you know, internally I'm like, yeah, well, if you did this and this and this and this, you'd get them. <laughs> but, yeah. But that, but that list is like extensive. 25 things long. Yeah. And by the time you're like halfway through it, people are like, I'm not doing that. No, they, they aren't. And, <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, I, I, frankly, I don't recommend those companies at this point. I don't recommend, um, doing that. There's no quick fix answer. You know, you can't just put, you know, some activate some widget. You don't want, you definitely don't want to work with like a budget company. You know, we were, we did our best to be like a high quality as we possibly could to the point of like almost no margin just for the sake of customer experience and customer service. And, uh, but the other companies didn't, don't even care about that. They're, they're profitable, great at getting people in, but making sure they're successful is a whole nother story. So um, I think it was more of like this internal conviction that like, I just needed my clients to be so successful that they ranted and raved about how amazing their experience was and how many appointments they're getting. Uh, you know, if they're getting like, I mean, 10 plus appointments per week uh, versus running just automation, quote unquote, for, you know, couple months and you don't get any results. Yeah. I just felt this like burning thing inside where I was like, okay, Nick is telling me I got to nix this. I got to upgrade the market. I just feel is changing. It's not enough to just do this one thing. And, and internally we've been doing this other stuff anyways for our own self. Why aren't I doing this for my clients? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, and that's really interesting. Cause I, I know this has happened for you as well, Dean, but I feel like some of our best, innovations that we've been able to sell out into the market are things that we were doing for us first. And we're like, Oh, we have this need, you know, all the, you know, business operating system stuff and how to run your company. Like all of that was because I was growing my agency, not right. because I was thinking, 
oh man, wouldn't it be really cool to go out and sell this to people? Not at first anyway. Yeah, right. I think that that's where a lot of the best ideas come from. I always find because usually, I mean, I know a lot of people would love to uh, <laughs> love to say that what they're doing is 100% unique and proprietary to them. And I know that's the case with certain businesses, but for a lot of businesses, you know, a lot of the experiences you're having and the challenges you're facing are very similar across different businesses and industries. And I think yeah. if you genuinely identify something that you're actually struggling with, you know, that's a great starting point to say, well, hang on a minute. Is there other people struggling with this? Right. 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 And it's almost one of these things that the worse the struggle and the harder it is to find the solution, the better the opportunity to create something for other people will be. Absolutely. Oh yeah, completely agree on that front because uh, as we started diving into solving this problem at, in a scalable way, we were, like my team and I, specifically my, my chief operating officer who is also based in Denver, um, we were knocking our heads together trying to, to figure out how the heck do we really get something that, is, that we can guarantee it results for because now we, we guarantee appointments on the calendar yeah, and we kind of pre-qualify people. We run all the, the ROI math ahead of time to make sure we're getting a very strong return and we guarantee it if they're working with us now because we can, because we know what's going to work and we know who we work with specifically and who it's going to work for. So, but we were trying to figure out this, this problem. And as we built and build and build, I honest to God here, uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if anyone else has been able to figure some of this stuff out in the same way, because mm -hmm. it is so complicated. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff with, with Zapier. You guys uh, mess around with, with the, that world much. No, yeah. I have a, I have a whole automation team. Yeah. Okay. So just to put this into, into perspective, cause we, we lean very heavily on, on Zapier for our, our business, which if you don't know, and you're listening is it's like this integration tool and it helps you, you know, combine all this, this stuff. It's um, like the crazy glue that holds all the cool apps on the internet together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so every, every prospect, so we're, we prospect about 2000 people per month, uh, per client, per salesperson, really. Um, and, in that process, the zaps, so we have around 20 unique zaps that are necessary per client. And some of these zaps have tasks in them, like little actions that are above 50 tasks per zap. And that's per lead that wow. comes in, that per <laughs> prospect. So we've got 20 zaps with up to 50 tasks in each zap that get triggered per lead just to get things working together in a weird hodgepodge of, of API webhook nonsense um, mixed with actual human labor that also has to come in and like write for the first sentences for every email um, and like respond to all the prospects and go back and forth like 80 hours of prospect labor and all this other stuff. It's a, I, I, it's an insane problem to solve. Well, and that's, you know, that you're actually bringing up something that I think is really interesting. And it's this, this concept that with the advance of all these web-based tools and things like Zapier and everything else, there is this new kind of this new model forming where it's a, uh, and it's something that I've, I've been fascinated with for a long time, human computer interaction, right? It's like, what are the better things for people to do? What are the better things for, you know, software and tools to do? And then how do you merge them together in a seamless way to create a result? 
And sounds sounds like you guys have really nailed it, um, you know, on that front. But to your point about, well, what's the problem? The problem is that most people aren't going to put 20 zaps together with 50 tasks <laughs> and, and hope that it's the right stuff in the right order and they bring in the right people at the right time. And that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, you got to create a solution, right? Like, that's a solution. If you, you know, just said, hey, here's, you know, five zaps, go try it yourself. Like, that's not a solution. Yep. And that's, and that's also, I think, comes down to this other really point that we sort of live by, which is uh, a quote I heard once, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but it was says, probably uh, Dean. Chances are really I good. I think it, it was, Dean. it might have been Dean. Yeah. Might I'll let you know for sure. Or, <laughs> his dog or his horse one of the right. three um <laughs> it's but, hard to tell who's getting credit yeah it, it i'll just have to take a stab at it and say it, it might have been the horse but um most likely the, the quote goes take the long road it's faster right take the long road it's faster because i think we do live in this world where we want to take a lot of shortcuts we want we want fast leads and we want lots of them and we we want to uh like the the quick wins and we don't want to pay a dime to get it uh so often like we just yeah. still what's searching the cheapest... for that. 16 years i'm still searching right exactly <laughs> like what's the cheapest possible minimum viable thing that we can do and what ends up happening is you know someone might have uh, it, it's why the low ticket businesses sometimes are uh, so popular in, you know, even among like we, we had plenty of clients, I mean, hundreds of clients um, on our low ticket offer, which is great, but it just frustrated me because, you know, I wanted them to be even more successful in many cases than they were. And, you know, we were doing our thing perfectly the way that it should have been done. But again, it's not enough for a lot of people. And so it was just so frustrating watching them uh, like try to figure this stuff out. And um, yeah, it just uh, like they wanted, they came to us because they wanted something cheap and they wanted something fast. And if someone fails, that's why I don't like tripwires. If someone fails with your low cost offer, they're not going to upgrade. Like you have to get them the result that they want pretty much no matter, I mean, as cheap as it can be, but without cutting corners, um, because someone will just go and they'll try some LinkedIn thing or they'll try the, the latest and greatest widget and it won't work. And then they'll write off an entire channel because they half-assed it and mm, yeah. took the cheap road and they didn't <laughs> do it right. But they think that if they did the right thing, it's not going to work because they did the not right thing. And now they're dismissing the right thing because of it. It's just <laughs> this ass backwards kind of a way to do it. You're so right about that. And, and entrepreneurs have this whole, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater mentality in the first place. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, you talk to people and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you should really, you know, run this kind of ad on Facebook. Oh, I, I tried, I tried Facebook once. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Facebook doesn't work. Facebook doesn't work. <laughs> or I tried, <laughs> uh, I tried online business. It doesn't work. So I'm going to stick with my brick and mortar. And you're like, <laughs> You're like, wait, like, wait a second. You, yeah. Can we just replay that thing you just said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mean, you mean to tell me you exhausted all possibilities and it still <laughs> didn't work? No, no, no. Like I, I know this guy and he's really good with an internet stuff and he tried it and 
Yeah, just, and he's we, uh, it's his uncle, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's his uncle. <laughs> yeah. He, how much did you spend? Oh, I don't know, like sixty bucks, and we just yeah. we weren't seeing results. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, you could you could stay back in the nineteenth century with Abraham Lincoln and everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think there are ways. I mean, I was on a I was on a call with a prospect uh, yesterday. I still I still occasionally take prospect calls, and um you know, he was telling me the, like about his journey into entrepreneurship and, and all this and what he's really looking to do. And we had to turn him down because uh, actually in our case, we know because of the math, what is going to work and what is not going to work for our situation. And, and I think that when you can get that granular and you can mm. know your return on investment, we always sell by ROI. So we, we, we run those numbers uh, so that it's so logically clear and the path is so clear. And if we don't think we can get them results, we're not going to sell them it. Uh, but, you know, in this case, this guy needed a, just a different kind of funnel. He needed something to, you know, generate these high volume deals without talking to people on the phone, which again, that's a serious challenge. Like for those who can solve that really well and predictably, um, it's amazing, but it's really hard to, to land that product market fit to where that can happen um, without a ton of marketing collateral. So, you know, like just knowing what's going to work and for who, and if you can raise your ticket price, you're, you, you can enter into this world of lead chasing and sales but sales doesn't make sense if you're selling something worth 50 bucks. Right. Well, what's the, what's the, uh, internet marketing phrase, Dean, I think it's either attributed to Dan Kennedy or somebody else. He who can pay the most for his customer wins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's Dan Kennedy, right? I think it was Dan Kennedy. I don't know. Everybody's not Russell Brunson. Well, but Russell Quote, studied with kidding. Dan. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Russell does say it a lot. He does. He yeah. does. Yep. And, you know, and, and I kind of used to be a part of, uh, of some of that, that stuff as well. Uh, but I just, my journey sort of had to take me a different direction. Like I had to follow what, what worked in terms of um, like actually moving the needle and a lot of stuff we tried just didn't, mm, right. um, you know, for one reason or another. And it wasn't uh, just like you pointed out though. It's like, you have to do it the right way from the start, but we kind of figured out our sweet spot of, of really lowering that customer acquisition cost. Um, like just cause you sell high ticket doesn't mean you have to have a ridiculously high customer acquisition cost. Yeah, you know? that is, that is absolutely true. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. It just means you have to build a bit more intimacy. Usually you have to be a bit more frequent. You have to be a bit more intimate or relevant or efficient which is kind of that, that fire formula uh, that we follow that we put together um, a number of years back. Well, and that's uh, but, also why, why Dean had so many repeat customers when he was doing burlesque because he built, <laughs> yeah. built that intimacy and that familiarity and people just kept coming back for more. Certainly more consistent. Yeah. Sure. De- well, if I could just definitely. say the proof's in the pudding, isn't it, Dean? that it is my friend. That it is. I can't, I can't get out of my head now all these different things of like, Oh, I tried business once. It doesn't work. Right? <laughs> like, like I, I tried eating healthy. It doesn't work. 
Like, like, yeah, going right. to the gym doesn't work. For no, me. I worked out. I worked out once in 1996. It, it doesn't work. I'm out of shape now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like and that's entrepreneurial. People throw in the towel, like really without exploring things and that, but, but that is the opportunity to actually do this stuff. You can't go to the gym for somebody, but there's a heck of a lot that you can do. And if you're trying to figure out how to create a high ticket program, it's like, okay, where are the things that people are trying and failing that you know how to do? And how can you bundle them up into a solution? Yep. And not being lazy about it either. I think right. entrepreneurial laziness is a real thing because, you know, the complexity does put your brain in a little bit of a knot and makes you want to sit on the couch and kind of roll over and wish you were dead from time right. to time. But to, but to that point, you don't have to be the one to figure it all out either. You right. know, there's there, like, you know, like we talked about, there's, you know, people who create automations and there's people who do this, right? Like we, we do that for clients and, and you don't, you don't have to be the one who is going through all of that. You don't have to become an expert in everything. I think you need to be good at architecting things and having a vision for where you want to go and recruiting the right help to be able to create that and then testing it with the market. Right. And not, not that that's, you know, necessarily trivial or easy, mm. but, but you don't have to be, uh, you know, a developer to do all of this stuff. And you don't have to take five years and go learn how to code or whatever, you know, it's like that, that's the, that's the long road to China. Mm -hmm. Yep. Putting together, you know, I think that that perfect product market fit also can take a lot of time. You know, it's not something that people usually land on right away. Like I was on another podcast probably a year ago um, where someone asked, like, if we had solved perfect product market fit. And at the time I was like, man, I, I, I don't I can't say that I that we have. And uh, and lo and behold, we ended up completely transitioning our, our model, uh, you know, a year later. Um and so it just goes to show like, you know, business is like, it's a fluid, it's a fluid thing and it's a exactly. trial and error. Um, but I wouldn't be afraid. Like, I think so many people starting out, they don't want to go to the enterprise, man. Like stay away from the enterprise because the expectations are too high. There's too much checks and balances. There's too much bureaucracy and this back and forth and too many decision makers, but there is still a sweet spot. Um, you know, of these businesses where the CEO is still kind of involved in the main de decisions of the day. And if you can find, you can solve a huge problem for them, you can enter into this world of, uh, of high ticket. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny that you say that because I left my corporate job uh, about nine years ago and, you know, then I was doing, uh, I had an agency where we were, you know, doing digital strategy and analytics and consulting for big big corporates and that business just kind of fell apart for partnership reasons. And, and then I was like, you know what? I don't really want to work with these big guys anymore, but is there any money to be made in, you know, more startup entrepreneurial things? And it took a little while to figure it out, but there is because there's so many, so many people coming out online, starting their own companies, you know, that have a cool idea that have traction in the market, but they need different solutions and the solutions are non-existent in many cases because there's right. like this big gap in the market. It's like, oh, not until you get to this level are you going to get the help you need. And I was kind of like, man, that sucks. 
Why can't we democratize good help earlier on to give these businesses a chance of becoming bigger and more substantial? Absolutely. And I think there's a a progression of what needs to happen in a business. Like what you start with isn't going to be what you finish with. Um, It was one of the lessons I had to learn in startup space, actually. Like we had these redundant tasks where, um, you know, we had to build a solution that we knew was going to be uh, removed and, and replaced with a better solution in a matter of months, but we still had to build the intermediary solution. And it blew my mind. I'm like, why are we investing all these resources doing it this way when we're just going to change it over there? And it's because we had to build, we had to like grow things up progressively. And, you know, so I would say someone starting out, like your, your first big goal needs to be like hit that hundred K you know, get that 100K mark, you can do it yourself, you don't need much team. And then from there, you have now some capital to, to really reinvest, hopefully buy your time back. But you know what, I, the, the term was coined uh, by another friend of mine once, um, called it the, the six figure hamster wheel happens you know when you get there though and you you can't leverage yourself out and all of a sudden you're the technician and the janitor and the ceo Mm -hmm. and your life is now falling apart and you hate yourself because (laughs) your business and you basically worked yourself into a job um and so i think it is tough like you know a company just starting out is not going to necessarily be able to you know come work with someone like us and, and pay to to scale their sales team. Um, but there is that point where you're like, Hey, I'm making money and I know I need to scale and I have to start removing these revenue generating activities and delegating them. And that's our sweet spot. Even if it's just a single person, you know, if their deal size, of course, is high enough. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Dean, before, uh, before we say goodbye to Tyler, what words of wisdom do you have? (laughs) <laughs> well very few as per That's my what i suspected okay now we're good to go <laughs> no i think i think this is a i think this is a great subject and at least you know for people listening in all different situations in business this should at least be something for them to start thinking about if they haven't yet you know so i think it's a great subject that we've started unpacking so appreciate you uh coming on tyler and talking about it absolutely and you know i think when when you're listening to a podcast, there's always that, like there's, there's motivation and, and you can get some info, but there's so much depth that, you know, we're never able to, to fully dive into. I think the nitty gritty right. tactics, because we can talk about some, some high level strategy, uh, but going deep into like, what, ha- what needs to happen first and what needs to happen second and third, um, you know? And so uh, I guess I would just want to make sure that, the audience knows like this podcast is a resource for that information and it doesn't have to end with just listening, you know, like they can dive in and take things one step further. Uh, They should be putting an action plan together, you know, like take action on what we're, what we're talking about. And don't just think, don't just get the offer, figure out how you can grow that offer, how you can scale that offer profitably. Um, That'd be my, my parting thoughts. Yeah. And, and be open to a little bit of trial and error, right? Yes. You know, if, there, if we're kind of identifying a very high level three-step process, one, create an offer, two, you know, refine that and then get a market match to that and then go and figure out if you can sell it and scale it. Like that's 
you know, effectively what you need to do, is it simple? Yes. Is it easy? No. But but the rewards are substantial if you can figure that out. And so don't be one of these people who's like, oh, I tried selling that. It doesn't work. I tried well, unless my- you did try it once for 10 minutes and it didn't work, in which case well, there's that- probably no, ch- no point ever doing it again. No, very, very fair point. <laughs> I mean, if you put in, you know, 30 seconds of thought and you had an idea and then it didn't pan out, then obviously it's not meant to be. But <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like saying, you know, I like I'll ask people if they've done uh, – outbound email and they're like oh yeah yeah i've done that and uh when i dig a little bit they're like oh yeah i well i had mailchimp account and yeah. i'm like oh, okay you, well i had a mail you, you i had a mailchimp know. account and i sent two broadcasts to a list of four people two of whom were my parents right and, and <laughs> you know and sending newsletters obviously is one thing and sending like stuff you don't opt in for is a whole nother ball game you now you're talking about how do i navigate can spam how do i stay out of the <laughs> yeah. spam box uh, I spammed people once. It didn't work. Right. You know, so, you know, those, the answers are out there, right? And uh, it's just, it is possible to flood calendars with appointments, but some people can't do it if their life depended on it. And so, you know, that's, that's where hopefully you know, they can, they can lean in a little bit and, and learn what they need to learn. Well, and, and for, and so for, you know, for those people who are listening and you do have a high ticket offer, and you want to check out what Tyler and his team are up to, is uh, leadroll.co the best place for them to check that out? Yeah, absolutely. They nice. can go to leadroll.co. They can find me on LinkedIn, even Tyler uh, Kemp. I help with growth. You'll see on my profile. Um, I feel like Tyler almost forgot his last name, Dean. I almost <laughs> did. Well, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, do I want to give the exact LinkedIn URL? Because that's how granular I could give. Like oh. <laughs> linkedin.com slash in slash TJ Kemp. If no, you're I tried that, that one. Type. So it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so Tyler Kemp, search it. Um, and or, but yeah, we, we have blueprints. Um, we give away for free. So we can give a step-by-step roadmap, something we, we consider to be just the bulletproof process for outbound prospecting, awesome. show them how to stay out of the spam box, show them all the stuff for free, run the ROI math with them on the phone, no, no commitments of any kind. And uh, only if it makes total sense will we ever even ask someone to work with us. So, yeah, that's the best place. Take, take a quiz, get on a call with me or my team, and uh, that's, that's how they can start working with, with us and you know, scale to kind of either their first million or scale to five million or scale to uh, 10 million plus in annual recurring revenues. Kind nice. of a sweet spot. Awesome. Well, and, and Dean, maybe, uh, maybe Tyler's blueprint that he's talking about could be included in the new gift we're about to unveil to our audience soon. Ooh, look at you just dropping crumbs around the place. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, we're, uh, we're up to something cool here, Tyler. We'll let you know offline and the audience will know as soon as it's ready. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, um, well, D- Dean and I are going to carry on for a few more minutes, Tyler, but we'll let you go. We appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. That was an awesome convo. Um, for Much those of you guys who want to check out Tyler and what he's up to, go to leadroll.co or find him at LinkedIn. Unless you tried LinkedIn once and you don't, and it didn't work for you, then and all, by all means, don't do that. that. Just, just skip it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks for being here, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks. Tyler. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so Dean, I feel like we need to, uh, we need to move forward with the show. Um, but the most important thing for me right now is, is your horse still eating? <laughs> like, Why I know you put the feed bag. Well, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to check. Cause I was a little bit concerned whether or not he, he, his feed bag was still secure 
intact and everything was working out fine. Any anybody that's in close proximity to me does not struggle with food, my friend. You should know well by now. <laughs> yes, I do know well. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about the like I don't know, was it 48, 46 ounces? How big was that steak that you ate after uh funnel hacking live a couple years ago? He, Dean actually has his name on a website. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. We should put the link. This is what we got to do. We got to put the link to your plaque, your online plaque in the show notes for everybody to see because it's Shula's Steakhouse in Orlando, Florida. You had like an appetizer, a salad, a 48 ounce steak, a side, two sides, <laughs> and dessert. Yes. Yes. Am I, I right? You are right. You are right. Yeah. And yeah. funny enough, so uh, I'm guessing you guys have it in the US because it's an American show, but there's that uh, Man versus Food TV show, right? Yes. So yes. Uh, uh, about probably about two months ago, he went to Shula's Steakhouse to eat the steak. And he didn't and do he it. he only just did it, but he only ate the steak. Ah, I'm like, you put, where's the appetizers and the sides? <laughs> that's not right, man. You put that guy to shame. It should be Dean versus Food. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but, uh, but no, that was a good conversation on a good topic. And I know, uh, I'm sure we'll probably talk about that uh, many, many times in future, because it is something that we both are actively involved in. Yeah, well, I think for me, you know, that it's such a it's such a good conversation, because for a lot of people, the idea of making that leap to I can sell something high ticket is at best uh, makes them afraid. At worst, it paralyzes them into not doing anything. Well, absolutely. And, and I tell you one thing, uh, one thing I've observed over time, and I won't say this is everybody, but a lot of times, if, if I see an entrepreneur business owner that has a, a real challenge in, as in trying to come to terms with offering high ticket products, you, you tend to see a lot of times that they also have a problem buying high ticket products. Mm, like there i've noticed a, so a connection true. between the two like if you don't see value yourself in a high level high-end train like trainer program product opportunity service then chances are you're going to have a hard time figuring out how you can do it yourself because if you won't do that for you you're always going to even if subconsciously impart that belief onto your prospects and customers as well what do you think yeah. about that Oh man, I think you're right on with that. And it's almost one of these things like what you what you can't or won't do for yourself, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to do for other people. Right? right? Yes. Right, and right. and and so yeah, there, I I know, you know, I, I mean, I I I think the sort of caliber and quality of people that I talked to, you know, over the last several years has just continuously improved, but I know that there are plenty of people out there who you know, they, they won't even invest in a $47 thing. Right. Right. They're yeah. still stuck. Oh my God. Like I wouldn't pay for that. You know? Okay. Well, why? <laughs> right. I tried that once. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's tough. There, there is definitely quite a lot of mental barriers that, that we put up in these areas. Um, but yeah, you know what, just, just on this subject, I'm just thinking like of, of the various times where I've had these challenges myself. 
And you know, one of the greatest things that helps me today, and you know what, this has only come, I would say I've only had this level of what I'm about to talk about only in the last couple of years. So this isn't like a 15 year long thing that I've always had this. And that is. If well, hold on, got... hold on. I got to do an announce for this. Oh, go. Please do. Okay. With this biggest revelation. Okay. Now you can go. I feel like we need that at least once every show. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> Your biggest revelation. Oh, Don't no, let me down. I just did an announce for you. Here we go. We've got the announcement. So one of the biggest things that's helped me in not only making high ticket offers, but successfully doing so is to have such unwavering belief in what you do and the solution you provide that it is your, it, it almost, it shifts things around to be like, my customers need this thing. Like you have to have this thing. I have to do everything in my power to get this into the hands of people. And I, and I tell you how I've reinforced that. Like I genuinely believe, and to be clear, as I'm sure others that probably you would deem as competitors to me would believe, I genuinely believe that the, for what we offer and for who we offer it to as our audience, there isn't a single person on this planet that does what we do as well as we do it. Right Now, when you can say that and look in the mirror and not just say it and hope it comes true, but I mean actually believe it, like there is no length that you won't then go to to think, well, it's my duty to get this into my hands of my customers and I'm going to spend as much time as necessary, get whatever help necessary to make sure that I do that successfully. Because if I fail that, then I'm just letting everybody down. Yeah, well, you're you're talking about this whole topic of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, another transition that I think you make, you know, depending on, you know, where you are in your life cycle as an entrepreneur, but you realize that some, most people start a business. I'd say most people there's, there's exceptions to this. Most people start a business say, all right, like, what can I create so that I can, I can get more or have more for me. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then you realize that that's not really the key to growth. And it's also not really the key to fulfillment if we're honest. Sure. And then you start saying, Oh, wait a second. What can I create to help others? And, and then when you have that conviction, like you're talking about where you so fully believe in your product or your service or whatever it is, then it's not about, Oh, well, how, like, how can I, you know, grow my business just so I can, you know, have a better bottom line or more money in my bank account. All those things are sort of more rewards for putting the emphasis on how can I make sure that the people that I'm here to serve get this solution so that they can excel in whatever endeavor is important to them. Yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was Jay Abraham who talked about this fiduciary's responsibility and, and thing like that. You know, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big, big topic, but that you really hit the nail on the head with that. And it's so sort of counterintuitive at the beginning, I think, mm. but it really, it really is the key to growth because your business is not about you at all. Ooh, you're going to drop wisdom like that. So late on in the show. So late. Well, I feel like we had a few more minutes. It was just like, it needed to happen. Well, you need to warn the rest of us. <laughs> I like doing an announce. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom is about to be shared. <laughs> yeah. 
That's we amazing. should have a wisdom alarm. Here it comes again. Wisdom <laughs> by the show. What if we do? What if we do an announce in reverse? <laughs> wisdom was just shared on the show. <laughs> and 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 there's no like sort of policing of that. It's just whatever we determine to be wisdom. Right. Definitely. Right? But, I, I, but I will say that time the audio of the sound surpassed the audio level of your voice. Right. Well, that's right? not it, that's not unusual. Like. Yeah. Um so uh so so here's here's another question around around this whole topic of the high ticket thing. Um I think a lot of people are are confused where to start with like the price. Right? Like you said, it, you know, when we were talking with Tyler, you know, you had you know, products that were like, you know, $70 or $90 or whatever. And I think that first time that you have a high ticket thing, it can be kind of, kind of freaky. Oh gosh. Kind right. Of, yes. I'm like, wait a second. I'm going to ask for a thousand or 2000 or five or whatever. And I would just say to, you know, people who are considering, you know, creating a high ticket offer and everything, you, your starting point doesn't have to be your ending point. Oh, not at all. That, I'm, and I'm so glad you, uh, we probably need another hour. So we maybe have to carry this on another time, but I'm so glad you mentioned that because that, that was one of my, my biggest problems early on. Cause I think a lot of times the thing is the, the mentors or the people that you're turning to that are probably telling you like you should hide high ticket, raise your prices. They're probably further down that path than you are. And to them, yeah. high ticket, you know, this conversation, I could probably have a conversation with you, James, and you would tell me that what I what I sell as in air quotes high ticket is really cheap, mm. you know, because your level of high ticket for the customer base you have is ten x the prices that I'm selling at, you know. And so I think one of the one of the the best paths that I always went, and it, it's exactly with what you've just said, is my first what you would what I would deem at that time as a high ticket program was under a thousand dollars, right. But that exact same program, yes, of course, it got better. I, I got better. So did the program. As, as the first group of people coming through or the first customers coming through, you get feedback. You know, So you can start lower and then improve as you go. And what I can tell you is within, I think, a, a, a matter of, I would say about 12 to 18 months, what started as a 997 program became a $5,000 program. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it did evolve. I didn't just change the price. But it, by all accounts, it was the same program. Well, and, and, and I think the important thing here is that the more completely you can solve a problem and the more comprehensive the solution, yes. the, the more you can charge for that. But at, but at the beginning, you don't necessarily know. So I, uh, I think Doug is about to kick us off the air. Oh, classic um, Doug move. I know. It is a classic Doug move. Next time we're going to bring him on and we're going to have words about why he kicked us off while we're in the middle of all this great wisdom. But in the meantime, for those of you guys who want to check out back episodes on the show, see what we're up to, go to justatipshow.com. And if you want to call us, talk to us live on the show. Make sure you do. We're live every Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern. Call us at 888-627-6008. This is James P. Friel signing off with my esteemed British co-host, Mr. Dean Holland, on another episode of Just the Tips. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, 
visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.